Well, um, you know, it's been a great study so far as we've gone through this letter. I do pray that it's been a blessing to you. Uh, I know it's been a blessing to me as I've studied this text, um, as I've seen different areas in my own life where I, I know I can apply these principles. And really, you know, as we look at the close of this letter to Philemon from the Apostle Paul, I think one thing that really has been an overarching theme in our studies of the last couple of weeks has been this idea of reconciliation. And reconciliation is a very much a Christian, Christianese word, isn't it? Uh, I don't hear anybody else really talking about reconciliation outside of Christian churches. Um, maybe occasionally I'll hear the word reconciled used, but it's, it's pretty uncommon. Would you agree? Um, and so when we talk about this idea of reconciliation... Guys, if there's an iPad back there, if I could steal it from you, because my phone's going to die. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's a concept that we might kind of gloss over, and maybe we take it for granted when we sit in church week after week, and we hear those, those terms over and over again. But really, as we look at the, the, the close of this letter tonight, as we look at the conclusion of what has honestly, through this study, become even more so one of my favorite um, sections of Scripture. This is just such a uh, heartfelt letter from the Apostle Paul. Um, so many beautiful things that he addresses, and I think it's just a great, it's a great reminder for us of the goodness of God. And what I mean by that, and I think it will become more clear as we go through our study tonight, is that Paul, Paul's behavior mirrors that of Christ because Christ is in the Apostle Paul. And we also know on a grander scale that the Holy Spirit himself is leading Paul to write these words. Thank you. And so as we're looking at these texts, I would just encourage you as we, we have just a few short verses tonight that you would see all the parallels to Jesus. And I would argue that that is ultimately the purpose of Scripture, is to point to the Messiah. Um, and you could go to pretty much any text in Scripture and find parallels and, and big arrows that are pointing to Jesus. Amen? And so as we look at this last little section of our uh, letter, of this letter tonight, there's just such a strong parallel to Christ. And the, the title for the sermon tonight is Refresh. Uh, oh, that's the old one. <laughs> that's a good title, too. I changed it, though, halfway through. Um, the title tonight is actually Refresh My Heart in Christ. They'll get it up there. They're good. Um, and so that is just verbatim something that Paul says in verse 20. So would you stand with me as we just read the few uh, closing verses? We're going to start in verse 17 as we conclude Philemon. Paul says this, so after everything that he said, he's now made his ask that Philemon not only take Onesimus back, but welcome him in as what? A brother, right? Not, not as a slave, not just, hey, I need you to forgive him for the wrong that he's done to you and take him back as one of your slaves. No, Paul goes so far as to say, I want you to take Onesimus back and I want you to make him a part of your family. And so the ask has now been presented. And with this bold ask in mind, 
Paul says this. Verse 17. So if you consider me, Paul, your partner, receive him, that is Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And there's our title for tonight. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. And in the final greetings as Paul closes this letter, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, and my, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You can have a seat. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for yet another opportunity, a privilege that we have to be in your presence God, we thank you that tonight as we uh, wrap up this study, we thank you for what you've already done, the things that your spirit has already spoken, and we do ask, God, that your spirit would lead this time, that it would be uh, for your glory, Lord, that you would reveal things, truths to us, realities to us that maybe we have not yet seen. Lord, if there are uh, situations, and I would venture to say in a room with this many people, there are many situations represented tonight that, that need reconciliation, um, situations that need healing, that need to be restored, forgiveness that's needed. Lord, tonight, I pray that if those situations are represented in this room and if there is a struggle within any hearts and souls tonight in this room, that, that those things and those situations would be surrendered to you. Uh, God, that tonight you would break chains and that um, even the beginnings of reconciliation in those different situations would begin to unfold and happen tonight. Maybe someone tonight, when they leave this room, needs to make a phone call and, and uh, get a conversation started with someone who they need to forgive or who needs uh, to be reconciled to each other. And so we are asking for you to do what only you can do, Lord. Uh, speak through your word tonight. Thank you that you are faithful to do that. And so we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we look at verse 17, and Paul says, If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Now, let's just back up for a moment and remember what has just happened, because we took a week off, but this is a very harsh and real reality for Philemon as he's reading this letter from Paul. Now, I pointed out a few things last week, one of them being that it's very possible that Philemon is reading this letter for the first time in front of the congregation that he is leading. So put yourself for a moment, if you will, in, in Philemon's shoes. He has Onesimus, this slave that used to work for him, um, that he was good to, who wronged him. We don't know the details. And even as Paul uh, writes, he says, if he has wronged you in any way. So we don't know. Um, we know from the text that Onesimus and Paul have become very close companions. In fact, Paul says, as he does with Timothy and some others, uh, that, that Onesimus has become like a son to him. 
So they have this close relationship, but it's not clear if Onesimus ever actually tells Paul what he did. Now, I would venture to say that Paul probably knows exactly what Onesimus did, but he doesn't feel it necessary to go through it and hash it out and revisit it in the, in the letter. There may be some wisdom in that, just as a random side note that's not in my notes. Sometimes it's not re- worth revisiting things. Um, sometimes maybe we have a tendency <laughs> to, uh, with good intentions, open up that can of worms again or go there again. Um, and maybe for some of us, we have said, uh, this is not in my notes, but be it uh, what it is, maybe some of us have been in situations where we have said the words, I forgive you, but we keep going back to those things. See, then I think forgiveness is not, is not there. Because if you've said to somebody that you love or somebody in your life, hey, I forgive you for that thing, and yet you continue to bring it up and remind them of that thing, well, then I have to ask, have you forgiven them? Because our Savior doesn't do that to us. Praise God that he doesn't do that to us. My God doesn't remind me every morning of all the reasons why I am uh, worthless without him. <laughs> Maybe sometimes I need that. And sometimes the scripture does take us to those moments and, and reminds us how desperate we are in need of a savior. But God is in the business of encouragement. And, and when he gives a word that might be uh, harsh, if you will, it's for our, our betterment. So there's a time and a place for a harsh word. But I, I appreciate the fact that Paul doesn't see it necessary because he doesn't write in a bunch of detail what's, what's happened between Onesimus and Philemon. He just says, if he's wronged you in any way. And so when we look at this uh, for the sake of a small word study, I just was curious what the Greek is here for partner. So Paul says, if you consider me your partner. The word Paul uses here for partner is um, koinonas. And there are several biblical usages for this particular word. Uh, The word is used 10 times in the New Testament. And among some different and various definitions of the word, the one that stuck out to me the most was sharer. And that struck me as I was doing the word study this afternoon and I was thinking about what Paul is getting at here, we, we could apply so many different principles that we understand as believers that we've been reconciled to each other, that we are in the family of God, we've been adopted, we're, we're sons and daughters of the king, you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. But I liked that term, sharer. Paul says, if, if you consider me your partner, or you could say, if you, Philemon, believe you and I share the same faith. Philemon, if you believe that you and I share the same hope, if you and I share the same Christ, then receive Onesimus as you would receive me. See, I think it's really easy for us to distance certain parts of the faith and the things that God has called us to when they're inconvenient. Because... If Paul were to be freed, and we, again, had to put some pieces together over the last couple weeks as we've done this study, because we don't exactly know where Paul is right now, but most scholars would lean towards um, that he's probably in Rome on house arrest. If Paul was to be freed, and he was to show up 
at Philemon's doorstep, well, he would be welcomed, wouldn't he? Because Philemon and Paul have a good relationship. Um, they're, they're, they're friends, they're partners, uh, sharers, if you will, in the gospel. And we know that if, if Paul made a trip to Colossae and showed up at Philemon's doorstep, he would be welcomed with open arms. He would be, it would be celebrated. Paul's here. It's easy to love on people that love us really well, isn't it? Oh, it's easy to love people that we get along with really well. It's easy to love people that see eye to eye with us on virtually everything. But love, I believe love, in its truest sense, is loving people who are in strong opposition to us. People who are polarized to to me, who totally disagree with me on virtually everything. And you, you smile now because all of us are thinking of people in our mind right now. And we know that no matter what subject comes up at the dinner table, when we get together with that person at the water cooler at work, that that person and me, we're not going to agree on this, right? Most of us have somebody in our life that our relationship with them is like that, at least to a certain extent, or it just seems like we're always butting heads. But the, the picture that Paul is painting And the the thing that he's challenging Philemon to do is the way that you would welcome me, welcome him. Now, let's broaden the spectrum for a moment and apply it to you and me right now. That person that came to your mind when I was talking about it, that's the person that Jesus says, love thy neighbor as thyself. That's your neighbor. Right? Right? And so it's easy to love people who love us well. But it's a much different thing when we are struggling to love somebody. And then Christ says, love them. Quoting Calvin, I I used this last week, but John Calvin says this, it would be a sign of haughty pride. Please don't miss this tonight. It would be a sign of haughty pride. You could just simply say in modern English, extreme arrogance if we should be ashamed to count as our brother those whom God has made his sons. It would be a sign of haughty pride if we should be ashamed to count as our brothers those whom God has made his sons. Okay, Pastor Shane, so I don't have to love non-Christians. No. Not what I'm saying. (laughs) But especially in the walls of the church, if we can't get along, you follow where I'm going? And how much damage has been done to the church within its own four walls? I will use our own city as just a brief example Do you know how many Christian churches are in Corona? And do you know that most of them started from a very small number of original churches in this city? And just in the last few years, 
And I'm not saying church plants are bad. But at a certain point, as a pastor in this city, the question has to be asked, how many churches do we need? Because what happens is, there's a disagreement amongst people who are already reconciled to each other in Christ, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, and they can't get over themselves in their own pride, and so, well, I'll start my own church. And then 120, 150 years later, you drive down Ontario Avenue, and you have a smorgasbord that you can pick from, whatever you like. And in many ways, I believe that's a fundamental issue with the modern Christian church because Paul is writing to a church in Colossae that might be one of two Christian churches in the entire city, maybe in that region. And so the question becomes, have we made it too easy for people to just slip out the back door when they are faced with accountability, with church authority correcting them, with sin in their life? And I've been in ministry long enough to have seen things that I didn't realize happened inside Christian churches. <laughs> So-and-so's doing what? And then when pastor so-and-so says, you shouldn't be doing that, so-and-so says, bye. I believe that that is a bad, bad situation. Because what happens is, there's no accountability. And so... I mentioned this last week as well. It's, it's very possible that everybody in Colossae who's in the Christian church and is in connection with these guys, they know what's happened between Onesimus and Philemon. They know that Onesimus disappeared. They know that he's been gone. They know that he, he stole or he, he did whatever he did. Whatever happened, we don't know. But we know that something happened, and it's very possible that it's been the talk of the town and people are watching Philemon, possibly his own congregation, as he stands in front of them and reads this letter from the Apostle Paul, who says, take him back now, not just as your slave. I want you to completely forgive him, forget what he's done. You've been reconciled to each other. You're now brothers in Christ, and I want you to receive him as one of your own. Receive him as you would receive me. And so... From an outsider's perspective, us reading this, we would say, well, of course, Philemon has to take him back. But friend, put yourself in Philemon's shoes now. Let's apply it to your own life. Somebody wronged your family. Some of you have experienced something like this. You've been in business with another Christian, uh, maybe a, a friend, and they have stolen money. I was just talking to a, a personal trainer at my gym who told me that he had his own up and running successful personal training business um, last year. He fought through COVID and kept his doors open and ran a successful gym and was getting new clientele. And at the peak of their success, he found out that his business partner had been stealing money and they had to close the doors because they had a falling out. Some of you have lived in situations like that. In fact, I know many people. I, I actually have lost count of the people that I know who are no longer Christians or walked away from their faith or have a bad taste in their mouth for Christianity at large because of a bad business deal with a, a professing Christian. 
Money can be a great divider. But whatever the situation is, apply it to you. And think about that person who's wronged you in that way, showing up at your doorstep and you being able to say, I completely forgive you. It's water under the bridge. In fact, I want to be reconciled to you. Maybe that person came back to you and said, I became a Christian and I just want to say that I'm sorry for the things that I did. Would you, would you be able to forgive them? Would you be able to do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, yes. But man, our flesh wants something else. <laughs> our flesh wants revenge. Our flesh wants to show them what our knuckles feel like, right? Some of you are like, no, I don't want to punch anybody. Maybe that's just me, I don't know. No, I don't want to punch anybody. But our flesh doesn't want what the Spirit wants. There's this battle. But then we look at what Christ has done for us. And the things that Paul is now asking of Philemon are fundamental Christian principles. In fact, it's the principle upon which you and I are saved and have hope tonight. And that's what Paul is writing to Philemon and saying is, you have received great forgiveness in Christ. Now go and do the same. And so tonight, as we have hope in Jesus, when we have the, the, the cross and the goodness of God and his holiness and his worth and his righteousness on the forefront of our minds, it is a lens by which we can filter out the junk in this life. Amen? And so when I look at a situation, I don't look at it the way that I used to look at it. And that's what Paul is saying to Philemon. He's saying, you don't see Onesimus the way you once saw him. No, now you see him as a brother in Christ. Take him in as one of your own. Take him in as you would take me in. I had mentioned last week that it is, it is like a prodigal son story in many ways. You know, when the prodigal son returns to his father, the father had every right to say, you're dead to me. Get out of here. You took your inheritance. You spit in my face. You, you basically, by the son taking that inheritance in the story of the prodigal son, he basically was saying to his dad, you're dead to me. I want my money, and I want it now. I want what I want. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. So give me my money, and I'll go. But what does that father do when the son returns? He ran. He ran to his son, which was considered undignified. Men didn't run. You know, you're driving down Ontario now, you see people running on Ontario. People didn't do that. That was like, that was what lowly people did. I don't run. Because run, running showed that you were, you know, running late or in a panic or stressed out. No, no. The Pharisees never ran. No, they always, however they walked. I don't know. I, that's how I think they walked. But the father ran to his son. And the, the prodigal son story just continues to circulate in my head as I read what Paul is asking of Philemon. And for us, we know Romans 5.8. While we were still dead in our sin, enemies to God, in opposition to him, Christ died for us. And what makes Christ's sacrifice on the cross even more profound is that Jesus didn't just shed his blood for those who loved him really well. No, he died even for those who hated him. In fact, 
in the crucifixion account, we see this astounding picture of Jesus asking for the Father to forgive the very people who are nailing him to a cross. Friend, if you need to know what forgiveness looks like tonight, that's what forgiveness looks like. That as the very men are nailing Jesus Christ to the cross that he does not deserve, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Another story that comes to mind is the stoning of Stephen, who the man writing this letter, when he was Saul before he became Paul, may have very well been overseeing and said, go ahead. It's very possible that at the stoning of young Stephen, on fire for the Lord, as he's stoned to death, the man who the people looked to for the go ahead, go ahead and kill him, may have very well been Saul. Now writing years later as Paul changed and transformed by the gospel, and he is saying, Forgive, forgive, be reconciled just as Christ has reconciled us to himself. Now you are called to emulate that, to mirror Christ. There's an old Phil Wickham song that will always be one of my favorites. I've loved Phil Wickham since he first started doing worship. I I remember um, when I was, I think, 12 or 13, If I had only really known who Phil Wickham was or what he would become, I would have probably asked him if I could be in his band. Um, I remember uh, it was, however many years ago that was, 15 years ago, he came to the church, and this was like right before Living Truth became Living Truth, and there was an event where we got our two churches together. It was Faith Bible Church and uh, Calvary Church Corona, and we got our two churches together for this event on the lawn out at the corner of Ontario and Lincoln at our old property, and Phil Wickham was there. Um, and, but Phil Wickham wasn't Phil Wickham at that point. He was just like, you know, uh, some dude with really deep V-neck and long hair. And uh, that was the style then. It was like the V-necks that almost showed the belly button, and you were like, that's just not a good look, you know? No one wants to see that. But for some reason, amongst the singers and songwriters of the early 2000s, that was the move, to have a deep V-neck. Thank goodness, uh, thank the Lord Almighty that that phase uh, went away. And may it never come back in the name of Jesus. Um, and I remember, I remember Phil Wickham leading worship on the lawn that night. And I'm trying to remember why I brought up this story. Uh, songs, yes, thank you, thank you. See, and so, but I remember it was around that time that, that Phil Wickham came out with a song called Sun and Moon. And uh, when I was in college, I lived in uh, York, York, England. A lot of people say, oh, you live in New York. No, not, not New York. I don't want to live in New York. I've been to New York. I'm good. Um, and I lived in York, England. And uh, York is one of the oldest cities in the world. They've worked really hard to preserve uh, history there. And the little church that I was serving at and um, helping lead worship with and stuff while I was there as a student, there was this uh, wooden chapel on the campus of the church. And there was this little chapel, and at night I'd go in there, and um, I would just play my guitar and sing. This is when I really had just started leading worship, and um, this would have been 10 years ago now, and I, uh, that was a song that I would often sing in that, that old chapel, and it was called Sun and Moon, and the, the, the words of the song simply say, if you are the sun, then I want to be the moon. I want to reflect the light that shines from you. And if, and if this is war, then I'm going to draw my sword because, God, I know what I'm fighting for. And the chorus of the song says, God, I want to let you know that I want everything that you are. 
I, I just, I will always love that song and that picture of, God, if, if you are the sun, then I want to be the moon. I want to reflect the light that shines from you. And I wonder tonight, how good of a job are, are you and I doing of, of mirroring the image of Christ to those who need a Savior? You know, it's been said many times that you might be the only Bible that a non-believer reads, or you might be the only glimpse uh, that a non-believer gets to who Jesus is. How well of a job are you doing? That's a lot of pressure. But it is indeed the call on our life to be a reflection of Christ. The scripture is permeated with this idea of going out and being a light in the dark, salt to the earth, a city on a hill, all these pictures that scripture paints that are a challenge and an exhortation to you and I to go out into a world that is desperate for hope. And so the, the, the challenge that Paul is laying before Philemon now is, brother, you need to be Christ to Onesimus. Be Christ to him. How well are we doing that tonight? Paul says in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And just for some extra confidence, I suppose, for the sake of Philemon, Paul says, Paul, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And then he says, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul says, if he has wronged you, and you know, we gather with a fair amount of confidence that Onesimus certainly did wrong Philemon in some pretty significant way. But we continue to see the gospel on display as Paul now says, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. I will pay it. And I'm reminded of the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. In Luke 10, 29, Jesus in the midst of a conversation with an expert in the law and this is a key part in verse 29 of Luke chapter 10. But he, that is the expert in the law, wanting to justify himself, asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You can hear him pompously ask that, right? Well, who is my neighbor? You know, as if he maybe can catch the Messiah in, you know, his words. And Jesus, in a story many of us know well, I'll just read it quickly for you, says, and in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away. And leaving him half dead, a priest happened to be going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest. <laughs> so too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan. And this is where the expert of the law says, no, Samaritan. Oh, can't stand them. And Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went out and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And then he put the man on his own beast of burden, his own donkey, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And this is the part that really reminded me of this passage. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. 
And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you may have. That's love. And then Jesus turns to the expert in the law and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I just love Jesus, man. He's so crafty. He just, ah! Can't even handle it, dude. That guy was like, who is my neighbor? And Jesus was just like, the Samaritan's your neighbor. Now deal with it. (laughs) I wish Jesus would have said it like that. Maybe he did, I don't know. He's a pretty cool guy, so. And then then the expert in the law couldn't even say the Samaritan, right? The one who showed him mercy, Lord. The the Samaritan. And what does Jesus say? Go and do likewise. That's love. And as Paul says, whatever he owes you, I'll repay it. I was reminded of that story. That as the Good Samaritan leaves him at the end, he has business to attend to. He says, hey, I'll be back. And anything extra above the two denarii, I'll I'll cover it when I get back. And you have to think about the witness and the testimony that that must have been to that innkeeper that night. And and some of you have experienced situations like this. You know, I told a a story a couple weeks ago (laughs) on a Sunday... The, the, the Tuesday after the Sunday that we taught on Do Not Steal, I went to Home Depot, and I was in the middle of a project. I was building this big uh, 12 by 5 uh, privacy panel thing, and it was like a super intricate design. It took way too long. And um, I had to go back several times, because if you've done anything where you have to go to Home Depot, you know you don't go to Home Depot once. You go several times. So it was like my last trip of the day. I finally had everything I needed. I just need to get this thing wrapped up. And I get in my car, got everything loaded, and what's in my pocket? A couple of hooks I forgot to pay for, right? And you're like, ah! So I got to get out of the car. I got all this lumber sticking out of the side of my forerunner, and, you know, somebody's going to steal my lumber, and then I got to go back inside. And isn't it interesting how it, like, surprises people when you do the right thing? And I went back inside, and they're like, yeah, they're like $2.50 each, and I think I had three of them. You know, it's like, not a lot of money we're talking about here. We're talking about $7.50. And I come back in. And I'm like, hey, I forgot to pay for these. I think it was raining, too. It might have been raining. You know, just like a, not a great situation. Just all around being tested, okay? Uh, and then I remember that my trials are nothing compared to some others. So anyways, I walked back in, and the lady was, like, surprised. She was like, you came back for that? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I came back for that. I, I thought she was going to be like, okay, well, get in the line. You know, like, oh, my gosh, like 50 people in line. But she was nice enough to just let me pay for them. But it, it took her by surprise. And may I remind you that tonight when you do the right thing in this culture, it's not normal. When you love people the way that Christ has called you to love them, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Because our culture propagates the opposite You need to be first, put yourself first, positive vibes. You got to do your whatever, and it's all about you. And the gospel is in sharp contrast to that way of thinking. It says, no, it's about others. Jesus says the greatest commandment is love the Lord God with all your heart, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
And, you know, we talk a lot about struggling to love ourselves, and I know that there are real issues with self-worth and, and um, you know, all these uh, insecurities that we deal with, and I get it. But I did hear a pastor say that, you know, oftentimes at the root of those issues is a hyper-focus on self. Alistair Begg said very well, if I spent a tenth of the time that I spend thinking about myself and I turned my attention to God, I would be a lot less disappointed. And so maybe for some of us who are struggling with self-worth and those types of things, turn your eyes to Jesus and the things of the world will grow strangely dim. And so... That's the type of love that we see here. That's the type of love that's displayed in the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's the type of love that Paul is asking of Philemon now. And that is the type of love that Jesus Christ poured out on each one of us at the cross at Calvary. It's a picture of what Christ has done. And now we are called to do the same. And Paul goes so far as to say, if he owes you anything, I will pay it back just as Christ has done for you and I. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed that he has heard from us? And this is the key verse here. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you want to be more like Christ, you need to hear his word and get it into your heart. That means that these times, times in small groups, or Bible studies and home fellowships, your own time of devotion and prayer to the Lord must be a priority. I know many Christians who can tell me a lot more about football than they can about Scripture. And I have areas in my life where I've had to realize that. I know more about this TV show than I know about Scripture. Yikes. I'm a pastor, you know? I'm a pastor. I heard Vody Bauckham talking, and he was like, uh, y'all trying to ordain all these kids. You know, you see somebody that's in the Word, and they're praying, and you're like, oh, he should be a pastor. You just want to be a pastor so that you can feel better about being complacent. <laughs> I was like, whoo, wow. He said he doesn't need to be a pastor. He's just being a Christian. And maybe that's what we do. We say, yeah, well, of course, Philemon, he's a leader in the church. I mean, geez, how could he not welcome Onesimus back? I'm not a leader in the church. I'm not even a deacon. I don't even, I'm not even an usher. I don't have to welcome anybody back. <laughs> no, you do. You do. There's no loopholes. You can't get out of this, friend. It's just a call on your life to love people as Christ has loved you. The only qualification is that there's breath in your lungs. And I hope there is. We have a defibrillator in the foyer, so if if anybody's not breathing. And you know, I'm always amazed by how these simple opportunities that God gives us, how the Lord can use them. In fact, 
There's a face here tonight uh, that I know that I ran into his mom at a gas station one time and just mentioned our church, and he's been coming here for years. And I don't say that to toot my own horn. I thought nothing of that interaction. She was listening to K-Wave, and I was like, oh, that's Chuck Smith. I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College. I just talked because I talk, you know? And I wasn't, like, thinking, like, oh, what a great uh, spiritual evangelical opportunity for me right here. No, I was just, like, talking, and I, I mentioned I'm a musician, and she said, oh, that's great. And I, ga- I, I gave her a CD, probably out of slight selfish ambition. Like, here, here's my CD. And God still used it for good, and now they come to this church. That's pretty cool. And, and it, I can't take any credit. But my point in bringing that up is simply to say that sometimes you just never know what God will do with even the smallest interactions. And so I pray, I pray that we would be seeking those opportunities out. And so as the church and many people in this area are watching what Philemon is going to do, let's go back now to our picture in the text Philemon is reading the letter, and Paul has made the ask and has said, if you would welcome me back, welcome him back, and I'll take care of anything that he owes you. And you can hear the silence fall in the room as Philemon reads the letter before the congregation, very possibly. And people are now wondering, well, what's he going to do? It is even possible, and we don't know, it's possible that when the letters were delivered, Onesimus is left behind in a nearby town, and they kind of await the verdict, if you will. But it is also very possible that Onesimus has delivered the letters himself. And so now he sits and waits. And you could almost see Philemon is reading the letter, and then he looks over at Onesimus. And then he reads a little more of what Paul's asking. And he looks over at Onesimus. And the congregation is watching. What's he going to do? And we don't know. It's kind of a bummer. We don't know what happens. But I'll tell you this. I would like to believe that these men made the right decision and honored Christ in the way they conducted themselves. We are in a culture where truth is absent in so many areas. Truth is being challenged. And so, like I just read in Romans, we need to be people who proclaim the truth. And not only proclaim it with our mouths, but in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the way that we live, in the way that we handle different interactions that we have, in our, business, in our place of business, at church, when we're on the freeway and we don't think anybody's watching... There's an old episode of Seinfeld. I wouldn't condone watching Seinfeld. I've never watched it all the way through, but I remember this scene with Jerry Seinfeld. He's driving in his car, and he's dating a girl at the time, and he scratches his nose like this. But she thinks that he's picking his nose. And Jerry Seinfeld, in his really annoying voice, is like, it wasn't a, scr- it was a scratch. It wasn't a pick. You know, and she breaks up with him. People are always watching. And for some reason, people think that they're not watching. And then they're picking their nose in their car. You see these people. Do you see these people? I see these people on the freeway picking their nose in their car. And I'm like, your windows are tinted, but they're not that dark. People are watching. And we are to mirror the light of Christ and proclaim that truth. Truth is being challenged. 
You know, I saw a thing um, yesterday that now a new agenda that's being pushed in the public school systems is that they would have what they are calling transition closets. And these are now places where people are donating clothes so that students can leave the house in what their parents have said and determined is appropriate attire, but when they get to school, they are given now the opportunity to change into something that better fits their personality. I could preach a whole sermon on why that's not biblical and how outlandish and absolutely absurd that is. And as somebody who has a daughter, my friend, if you decide to tell my daughter she can wear something that I have not said is appropriate, you and I have, uh, we have some talking to do. And the, I will tell you that the, the truth in our youth, especially, these evil ideologies are being shoved down their throat. And it is just one thing after the next. And what blew me away in the video is that the teacher who was condoning this was so happy so happy. And now, all of us, pause for a moment, can, can look at that situation and be absolutely infuriated. But I want you to realize for a moment that that teacher genuinely thinks that what he's doing is good because he is blind. And you and I, before Christ, we also were blind. And the scripture says that there's scales that will fall off, that have been removed. And, you know, so for a moment, and, and trust me, it makes me angry, and I have my moments where I just cannot even believe what I'm seeing. But we need to be less about being quick to get angry, though there is a place for righteous anger, and even Jesus himself took upon those moments to act with righteous anger, as even when he turned the tables, when people were stealing and ripping off the people. But maybe sometimes we need to be less quick to anger and we need to get on our knees. And we need to be a people that are quick to start praying when we see evil. Because we know that our, our fight is not against what? It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against these men who are propagating these things and pushing these ideas. No, our, our enemy is Satan. And so we need to remember that and keep that perspective. And even in this situation, you can see the tension. It's as if Paul is saying... Oh, Satan would love to have a victory in this situation, wouldn't he? And keep you guys divided. But I call you as a brother in Christ to take him in as one of your own. Don't let Satan have the victory. And then he says in verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. There's a little bit of pressure added to Philemon. <laughs> You're going to do even more. And at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. So Paul says, hey, I know you're going to do even more. By the way, I might also be visiting soon. <laughs> There's a little bit of pressure being added to Philemon, isn't there? Now, this might be some strategy on Paul's part. Maybe. You can kind of sense some authority there. He's like, hey, um, I know you're going to do even more than I asked. This is like when dad says to you growing up, son, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I would rather you just be mad. <laughs> you know? And so I, I think maybe there's some strategy on the part of Paul as he writes that, but I think that Paul genuinely desires to be back in fellowship with Philemon in the church there. I don't think Paul's being manipulative in any way, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But 
from Philemon's perspective, that definitely is some added pressure. Wouldn't you agree that it's very possible Paul could be visiting soon? So figure it out. Some have argued that this could be Paul calling for the full emancipation of Onesimus, complete freedom, maybe, but I can't, from the, the text, if we're teaching the text for what it is and what it says, I can't make that argument necessarily because we just don't know, but it's an interesting thought. But let's remember also that the idea of slavery and the concept of slavery that we're seeing in the framework of Scripture is very different than what you and I might associate with, with slavery. Remember, we talked about that. So don't forget that as we're reading about this slavery idea. But regardless, as a general principle, I do believe that we should do more than we are asked to do whenever we have the opportunity. Do you agree? You know, my father instilled that principle in me from a very young age. And, um, you know, I will say when I became a homeowner for the first time, I bought this this miracle, this gift from God, it's called a leaf blower. Um, it doesn't have any bristles. <laughs> it doesn't even have a stick handle. You just pull a button and it moves the leaves. It's actually pretty remarkable. I did not know that they existed, nor how effective were they were during my childhood. But I will say that my father from a young age instilled that principle in my brothers and I. When you do a job, you don't just do it to get it done. Do it to the best of your ability. Do it above and beyond what you're asked. And so when we apply that to our spiritual lives and the call on our lives as Christians tonight, are we going above and beyond? Or do we have relationships where we just merely tolerate people because it's the Christian thing to do? Because... I believe that the call on your life as a Christian is to love well, not just to tolerate somebody. Sometimes that's all you can do. Sometimes you feel like all I can do is I can barely tolerate them. So pastor, please don't ask me to love them well. I cannot. No, friend, you can. You can through the Holy Spirit. I know it's hard. And I've had relationships like that in my life as well. So we are, <laughs> we are equal here. I understand the struggle. The struggle is real. And for Philemon, as he receives this letter, the struggle is very real. A man who's wronged him, now the Apostle Paul says, forgive him. And don't just forgive him, love him well. Take him in as one of your own. And I think of the words of Jesus as we close our time tonight in Matthew 25. Jesus goes on this long list and says, when I was, clothed, oh, when I was naked, you took me in and, and clothed me. When I was hungry, you took me in and fed me. And he lists this, this list of, of good deeds. And one of the disciples, I forget who at the moment, says, Lord, when did we, when did we do those things for you? What? What are you talking about? And Jesus famously responds, and many of us know this verse, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You know, I think if we viewed the different situations that are presented to us and the opportunities that God gives us through that lens, and that is often something that the Holy Spirit impresses on my heart when I see someone in need, a simple phrase that often circulates in my brain, to the least of these to the least of these. 
And I know that when you see somebody on the streets and they are asking for money, I know that there is wisdom and discernment that is needed in those situations. Um, you know, we have friends who work in organizations that help aid people who are on the streets battling addiction. And I would advise you, I think Pastor Michael just hit on this a couple weeks ago, as just a side note, that handing somebody cash is oftentimes not a good idea. Um, even gift cards, quite honestly, can be sold for cash and be used for somebody to continue to get their fix. But I will tell you, you can give someone a plate of hot food in the name of Christ. And I believe in so many ways that it's such a, a, an applicable way to say to the least of these, you've done it to me. But I think that maybe we've made the mistake of whittling that, that command and that, that call from Jesus down to situations like dealing in our Western culture. I think you and I, our brain goes to homeless people. But it is so much bigger than that. So tonight, the person that you cannot stand, the person that drives you absolutely crazy at the office, the person that is constantly giving you a hard time, you are the butt of every joke with this person. Jesus says, love them well. Love them well. Love them as you love yourself. So maybe if, I don't know, maybe if you grab yourself Starbucks in the morning on the way to work, grab uh, Stinky Joe a coffee and kill him with kindness. In fact, the proverb says, I love this verse, when you return anger with kindness, it's like heaping coals on their head. And you've seen it. Many of you have seen it. You, you return fire with that kindness and they're like, what is that? I don't want that coffee. You know, I hope they don't do that. No, they take the coffee and they're like, oh. You know, I was pretty severely bullied as a kid. And it was my own fault in many ways. Because, see, I always gave a response. I gave the kids that made fun of me exactly what they wanted, which was a response. I was quite literally, and this is not a pity party for Shane. This is just what happened. I was literally the kid, at one point, a kid took my glasses off my face and smushed them on the ground, and then they were all like pointing at me and laughing. You don't have to feel bad for me. God definitely used those things in my life to make me who I am today. But I will tell you a story, and this is my last thing for you tonight. There was a, a particular kid, I won't tell you his name because he still lives in Corona. <laughs> there was a particular kid that just gave me such a hard time when I was a kid. Um, and kids knew how to get to me because I showed them my target. You know, maybe that's a little advice for you if somebody bothers you. Stop giving them opportunities to bother you. Just, my grandma used to say to me, like, water off a duck, Shane. Like, water off a duck. You got to let it go. Don't let it bother you, which is so much easier said than done, right, when you're in the line of fire and you're, you're the one being made fun of and you're 10 years old and don't know how to deal with this stuff. But this guy just, he was, he beat me up a couple times, um, he, he was a very big kid, like a big kid for his age, all the way through primary school and through junior high. Um, in fact, no, what happened was we didn't go to the same junior high. We, we uh, went to different junior highs. And long story short, we ended up at the same high school together. And my freshman year of high school, I was taking auto shop. And we sit on day one. And lo and behold, this guy sits in the desk next to me. Now, this is years later. This is three years since I've seen him. We're now both like 14 years old. You know, we're, we're both bigger now. We're about the same size now. It's funny how that works, huh? Uh, and uh, I was like, no way. It's the guy. I'm going to kill that guy. 
There's wrenches in here for auto shop. I'm going to just, no. And you know what happened? I had let that guy be uh, such a problem for me through my years as a kid. And he always made me feel bad. And I had some pretty low moments with self-esteem and, and, and worth and identity as a kid growing up in the church but struggling with who I was and, and my self-worth and things and the way I looked and all that stuff. And that kid came up to me after the class on the first day of my freshman year. And you know what he said to me? He said, hey, man, I just want to, I know it's probably weird to see me. He was like, I just want to say I'm sorry. And I was like, what? You know, like just totally shocked. And then he went on to say this. When I was in elementary school, my parents were going through a divorce. I had a lot of issues and you were just an easy target for me when we were kids. And you never fought back. And maybe I should have fought back a few times. I might have saved myself a little bit of grief. But he said, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just really sorry. I'm really sorry for the way that I treated you. And I remember, like, being floored by that interaction. Just, I couldn't believe. And we ended up, like, being acquaintances through high school. And, you know, uh, we ended up seeing each other at a memorial uh, years later after graduating high school. And, you know, I still see him on social media and stuff. And I just... I just remember being, realizing at that moment as a young Christian, man, I, I've let bitterness have a hold of my heart towards him. And I think that in many ways, God used that small interaction to just totally humble me and to finally actually forgive. And maybe that's, you know, I'm sorry if a childhood bullying story is cliche, but that did, did happen to me, and that really did happen. And, and I don't know what it is for you tonight, but I know this, that the Apostle Paul has made it abundantly clear as he's really hit on this theme of reconciliation that you and I are called to forgive. We're called to forgive, to love well. And ultimately, this letter to Philemon is about being obedient, not to Paul. It's about being obedient and surrendering and submitting to the will of God. And so... As Paul writes his final greetings, he simply says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so to Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke and my fellow workers. And he says so eloquently, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. We have looked at a letter that calls the Christian to act like a Christian. <laughs> to put it simply, that's what our study in Philemon has been about. Christian, act like a Christian. And so, however that applies to you tonight, I could list a thousand different ways it could apply to us tonight. You know. You know the areas right now where you need to, you need to forgive, you need reconciliation, you need to surrender something to the Lord that you cannot control, who by worrying can add a single hour to their life, right? And... I think what it does is it's a gospel message. It's the gospel in miniature, as I said at the beginning of this study, that we've been reminded of the great love and forgiveness that's been poured out on us by Jesus. And now we have the opportunity to mirror him. And if he is the sun, then I want to be the moon. 
And it refreshes the saints. It refreshes our own heart when we forgive. When we become reconciled, it's a refreshment to the saints at large and even to us ourselves. And so don't let Satan have victory in whatever it might be. Maybe there's nothing you can think of right now. Praise God. But remember that we can fall in just a moment. And so may we be on guard. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that you are faithful to lead us through the difficult situations that we might be walking through right now. We know that you are faithful, God, to to equip us with everything that we need to be able to abide by your will, to, to surrender, Lord, to submit to your authority. And I just ask that for each person here tonight, you would, you would equip them with exactly what they need, Lord, to be a better reflection of who you are. That is ultimately the call on our lives, is that we would reflect you well, that we would honor you, that we would love you. And in loving others, well, in in doing that, we, we love you.